Okay, let's uh, let's pray. God, I uh, I am in awe of you. I am so grateful for the worship we had tonight to get a sense of who you are because you are perfect in all of your ways. Perfect. And there's no lie you won't tear down. No lie you won't tear down. You are truth in all things in all ways. There is no way better than yours. Your ways are always the best. And so tonight, Father, we trust and walk here. We're here because we want your will to be done, your ways to come forth, Lord. So I pray for you to open our eyes, open our heart, and especially give us sensitivity in the spirit to hear what you have to say. You know how unequal, unequal I am to the task, but you're more than sufficient. And I'm counting on you, and I know you're faithful. And so we pray your will be done. We pray that you get all the glory. Jesus, you deserve every single bit of the reward of your suffering. Every bit of it. So, thank you for your abiding love. Thank you that you did not give up on us. That you climbed every mountain to get a hold of us. And thank you that you're the one who sustains us. Help us to love you more. To understand you better. To seek you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, I'm going to title this message, Being Misunderstood. Okay? What does it mean to be misunderstood? And so, Pastor has already touched base on this. We're in 2 Corinthians. He went, started in, in chapter 1. I'm going to go through it pretty quickly, the first 12 verses that he covered, because I think it's important context to what we're going to share today. And then finish off the rest of the chapter and then go in the first few verses of chapter 2. As I shared with you before, verse and chapter designation was later added to the Bible. Okay? It was done around the 11th to 1200s, so it was not in the original scriptures. When Paul wrote his letter, it was one continuous letter. There may have been paragraph divisions, but even that is something that we've divided, uh, added later in our construct of language. Okay, so sometimes the thought um, ideas with the chapter designations don't always um, jive. They're not always in sync. So let's start with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth with all the saints who are in all Achaia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of God abound in us, so are our consolation. So our consolation also abounds to Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same 
sufferings which we also suffer. And if we are comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us, you are also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Wow, that sounds challenging and difficult. There's a lot of repetition, and he's saying about consolation, he's talking about suffering, he's talking about thanks, right? So let's go through a few points. Number one, this letter is written to many churches, all of Achaia, okay? And the big emphasis that he's talking about is comfort. And the kind of comfort he talks about, um, I think the Latin word says it really well, it's fortis. When you say something is fortified, it's strengthened. So he's saying the comfort is something that strengthens. And he wants us to understand that the trials that he goes through and how God has helped him, okay, is so that he can become stronger so that he can pass on the strength to others. The same comfort, consolation, comfort he received is what he's trying to extend. And that's what God wants. Okay? And so, the big challenge, and this is something we continually have to be reminded, like every day, like every hour, like every minute, is it's not about us. This life is not about us. If it was about us, then we should die and go to heaven right now. Because that's gain. That's the reward. That's where we want to be. Okay? What God has said is, it's about Him. It's about His plan. And He is perfect in all of His ways. Everything He is orchestrating, everything He's designing in each of our lives is designed with intention. This is not accidental. You are not an accident. You're not here by accident. You're here because God has purposed this. That should give us comfort. But we're also here because of that comfort for the benefit of others. Because we don't walk this walk alone. We're not Lone Ranger Christians. That's not how God organized it. The whole body, He's very clear that we're united as one. And so when we go through trials, it may not be about us. It may not be about what we want. It may be that we can then give a testimony of how good God is and what He wants for, for the benefit of others. So what you're going through, David, may not be about you, but maybe for the benefit of Patrick. Okay? And so I want you to get that, that that's the way how God set it up. And so when we go through the trial, we don't like it, but He's saying God uses it for purpose. 
Okay? And then Paul's talking personally about what he went through. This is why he's talking. He's talking about where they were. If you look at it in, he said that we were burdened beyond measure in Asia, above strength so that we despaired even of life, that the trial was so heavy, the pain was so much, that he just wanted to give up. Look, he just said to live as Christ died again. Like, you know, just take me home. I can't do this. But God comforted him. And then he said, it's not just for me. It's for you. So, the key, though, in all that, what Paul was talking about, is when we go through that, even the comfort that we impart is Christ's comfort through us to others. Not our thinking, not our reasoning, not our ideas, but what the Word of God says to be a blessing to others. As He's changed us, reconciled us to Him, as He strengthens us, fortis, that Latin word, comforts us, encourages us, that we're to bless others. Okay. So he talked about there the sentence of death. And the way he talked about is something that was an internal turmoil. Okay? And they talk about despair even of life, that he was under this suffering, he, that this is not something that was uh, something that was decreed from outside, but something that was going on inside of him. So sometimes we're going through a trial and we feel this immense pressure, this pressure upon us, and we're wondering how we could bear up underneath it. God is very clear that He will not give us more than we could do, and He'll give us a way out. But that doesn't mean He won't take us to the limit. Okay? That's how you make diamonds under tremendous pressure. Not much pressure, you have charcoal. Under tremendous pressure, you have diamonds. Okay? It takes that to break the bonds to reorganize the carbon bonds. God's using that because He has a purpose in that. So every single one of us has gone through trials. We're either going through it right now, just coming out of one, or headed to another. Sometimes it seems all of them at once. Okay? That's not by accident. I can't say it enough. That's not by accident. This is God's plan to conform us to the image of Christ and also to be a blessing in the body. And then what he says at the end of that in verse 14, he talked about helping together in prayer. He recognized, Paul did, that he was not alone in this. That's a challenge for each one of us. We too often think, I'm the only one going through this. Nobody really cares. I'm going to have to fight this battle on my own. Barely believing that God's there with us. Certainly not believing that our brother beside us is in it with us. So the challenge for us, and that's why we try to do it on our own, and so we haven't been a blessing for others because A, we haven't shared, we haven't asked, we haven't called out and said, hey, I need help. Hey, let me know what God's doing in my life, what God's been, what's been happening. 
And so there hasn't been this relationship where when you say something, somebody else will go, oh, I was just going through that. That's exactly what I need to hear. Because it's not about us. I don't want to burden them. It's not a burden. You know, when people call me, and I'm sure you felt the same, when people have called you for prayer, I get encouraged. I get encouraged when people call me for prayer. It's not a burden like, I don't, no, I, I can't pray for you. I'm sorry. I don't have the time. Never happens. Never happens. It's like, yeah, of course. And then afterwards, I'm going, that's actually pretty good. I feel pretty good. I'm encouraged. My connection with God is greater. I love Him more. And I actually love my brother more. Because he asked me for prayer. How does that work? That's the economy of God. He is, as we sang, perfect in all His ways. So let's move on to the main body of what we're going to talk about, starting with verse 12. Verse 12 to 14. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conduct ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and more abundantly towards you, for we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand, even to the end, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast, as you also are ours in the day of the Lord. So, as I titled at the beginning, this is all about misunderstanding. Paul wrote a letter, 1 Corinthians. We've covered that, and most of you read that. He's now written another letter, 2 Corinthians. Some believe there was a letter in between. That's still open to debate. There was also a visit, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And so, there's been many interactions. Paul loves these Corinthian Christians. And what he's trying to share is, I really love you. And this whole thing on 2 Corinthians is about his burden of his love for them. 1 Corinthians, we went through it, was strong at times. He was basically saying, hey, do this. Don't do that. Setting down some guidelines and some rules. 2 Corinthians is much more about, I want you to understand my heart. I want you to understand that I'm in this with you. That you are not alone. I need you. And hey, you actually need me too. We need each other to be part of the body. And as God works in me, that's a blessing to you. And as God works in you, that's a blessing to me. It's a mutual walk together. JJ's going to join us, I think. Not sure. Okay, so that's the thing to get. He's so such a cutie. So, the point that Paul is telling us in this part here, he's sharing with them how God's been working his life, and now he's going to be talking about some of the complaints. So part of the misunderstanding is the Corinthians, or at least some of them, have complained about Paul. They've said things about him that he's trying to set the record straight on. He's saying, hey, you misunderstand. So, 
we're going to go through this, this whole chapter, okay? The verses, when he's going to talk from here on, the first verses are going to address his lack of clarity in his messages. They're saying, you weren't really clear. We don't understand. You should be direct with us. Okay? And he's saying, look, I'm here to make things by the grace of God abundantly clear, not by what man thinks, not by fleshly wisdom, by wisdom of God. He's then going to talk about, they saying he's not really consistent in his behavior. You say one thing, you do something else. Okay, you said you're going to come, and then you didn't come. You're not consistent. And then they're going to accuse him of being a tyrant, dominating them, telling them because in the first Corinthians he was pretty clear that he's basically telling them, it's like, if we don't follow your way, then, you know, we're obviously wrong. You know, you're the one who has to call the shots. And so he's going to address all these points, and that's what we're going to be talking about. So as I've just shared in verses 12 to 14, he says, the testimony of our conscience that we conduct ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. In simplicity and godly sincerity. He's trying to tell them he's not calculating. This is important. Many of us can become very, very cynical. Somebody with a cynical heart will say, you said that, but you really meant that. You aren't really telling the truth. Paul's saying, look, I'm being very clear to you. What I'm speaking is true. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. This is the heart that Paul has. That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault. Without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I'm sorry, my mind goes to the NIV version. That's how I memorized that before. So it's, okay, it sounds a little different than what I'm used to. But it's basically the same message. You're in the midst of a crooked and depraved world. Or generations, I talked about that. And you're going to become blameless and pure. His motives are pure. Because of what God's done in him. The work that God has done, the pressure that God has brought him through, the trials he's gone through, he goes, I don't have time for anything else. I'm going to be completely honest and transparent with you. There's no guile here. I don't have a secondary agenda. I'm not trying to say one thing and then do something different. That needs to be our testimony. And we have to watch when in ourselves, okay, when we're suspicious. A pure heart is not suspicious. It is discerning, but it's not suspicious. That's not easy. That needs wisdom from above, not fleshly wisdom. And if we're suspicious, that is rooted in cynicism. I have to, we have to get that. Okay? Well, you know what the problem is sometimes if you're not suspicious? If you're, you know, you might get hurt. You might get hurt. So what? Jesus got hurt. We are going to get hurt. 
we're going to extend out, we're going to trust people, and we think we may be discerned, may not, and we opened up our hearts, and you get, yeah, poked, stabbed, sometimes in the front, sometimes in the back. It'll happen if it hasn't happened already. Do you shut down, close off? I'm not going to trust anybody anymore. I'm not going to give them a chance to hurt me again. May it not be so. That is not of the Spirit of God. Jesus did not do that. He was just—he was hurt repeatedly. God, to know the heart of God, and I shared this with a brother earlier. All through the Old Testament, you get to see again and again how Israel hurt him. He was hurt. He says, "I am grieved. I am hurt. I'm continually hurt. I'm a jealous God, and I'm hurt by your actions. You chased after that. Look at that. I'm hurt." Again and again, every time we sin, we hurt God. He's hurt. He feels pain. We don't get that. He feels. He has emotion. He has feeling. The Spirit feels. The Spirit grieves. When we do that, the Spirit grieves at our sin. We hurt God. We hurt God emotionally. We hurt God mentally. We hurt God, I know, through Jesus on the cross, physically, spiritually for certain. And yet, God does not shut himself off. God says, does not keep a record of wrongs. He should. We'd all be in hell. We all deserve it. None of us are righteous, not one. He should, but he doesn't. He continually forgives, and he continually seeks after us. Again and again. He did it with Israel. All through the Old Testament, you get to see it's his love affair that he has with the, with the Israelites, and he wants them to be the bride. He wants them to be the perfect bride. And they continually fail and betray him. Then he presents, you know, but the judgment. Yeah, but like shucks, he waits like a hundred plus years before he does judgment again. We do judgment ten seconds later. <laughs> okay? He waits a long time. He's long-suffering. And he does it mainly not because he wants to do harm, but really wants them to get the sense of their needs. Finally, when they have that, that they realize, yes, we need you, God. Help us. Now, that's not... He's much more graceful. We have the Spirit. He's not doing that with us. And I want you to get that, that being a pure heart, that is something we need to desire and we need to ask of God. That's what Paul was. His heart was, he was transparent. He was honest. He was sincere. Okay? Okay, so, I want you to understand this is also another principle we're going to talk about is when you're misjudged. Let's say you do something and you're misjudged and people ascribe wrong motives to you. What's your response? Our response needs to be, first and foremost, okay, God, help me. I need help from you. Not just, hey, you need to fix them. They didn't get it right. They didn't understand me. What the heck's the matter with them? But rather, God, I need help. Help me. I'm not maybe communicating what you want me to communicate in a way that can be understood. 
What is it about me and my mood or my attitude that made people react that way? Every time there's a misunderstanding, God calls us to examine ourselves, to see what of our motivations, whether we're pure and righteous, to see were we pure in heart, were we sincere, was there some secondary agenda that we're, we're saying we're the one thing, but our body language is saying something completely different. Ever have that happen? Yes. Okay? That's what hypocrisy is, you know, insincere. We're saying that. Ask God to examine us. There's a misunderstanding, there's conflict. I didn't mean it that way. I don't know how you took it that way. That's not what I intended. That's not what I said. When your body language says something entirely different. So God's calling us to examine ourselves, to pray, to seek, to ask Him to cleanse us. And then, and we know that in Matthew, He asks us to deal with that. He asks us to address that. So if I have a problem with you, I need to go to you. If you have a problem with me, I need to go to you. That's what Scripture says. No, wait, wait, wait. No, I have a problem with you. I go to you. But if you have a problem with me, then you need to come to me. No. That's not what Scripture says. So if your brother has a problem with you, then you need to go to him. So if you know your brother's troubled by you, obviously you have to have wisdom. That's where God tells you. You can tell. Something's not in sync. They're not comfortable around each other. They're a little bit standoffish. Hey, you have a quick moment. I may be misunderstanding something. Have I offended you in any way? This is not the time to say, hey, what's the matter with you? Have I offended you in some way? Are we okay? And you may need to preface it. What's going on? How are things going? It may be nothing to do with you. Could be they're on their own trial, their own issues of where things are. But it's a sensitivity. But it's a humble heart that continually seeks to reconcile. It continues to show Christ-like love. That's what God does with us. When we're hearts are hardened and we're not doing the right thing, it's God who gently, through the Holy Spirit, tweaks and goes, Hey, how you doing? And we're like, Turn away, thinking something. We don't even want to do that. Hey, I'm here. And I know. I love you, but you really shouldn't. I love you still. I'm here for you. God is always seeking us, coming after us. He's the one who sustains us. He loves us. Now, He wants us to love Him. That's what He's doing. That's what we worship. He wants us to love Him because not only that just shows how much we appreciate His love for us and the love just grows with that, just like in any relationship. But it's also the best for us. When we're worshiping Him like we were, our spirits are encouraged. Our hearts are softened. Our minds are being transformed we become ready to receive the message of God. It changes us. That's what the Lord wants in us. So, the challenge for us is to clear our consciences. So look at 2 Timothy 2.21. 
Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. When we confess, when we cleanse, when we reconcile, that's when God will use us. Because that's when we're like God. That's what Jesus did. He reconciled us. That's what the Spirit of God is continually doing, reconciling us moment by moment with Him and with others. So, one of the things you also have to appreciate is this. This is a challenge for us. Paul's attitude in verse 13, he says, We write you nothing but what you can read and understand. Okay? We want to make sure that you can understand what we're talking about. Now, sometimes it's easy for us to think, there's a problem. We'll just let it slide. We're not going to worry about it. We're not going to make a big deal about it. We're just going to not worry about it. Yeah, it was a misunderstanding, but it's no big deal. We'll overcome it later. That's not what Paul says. But Paul says, if there's a misunderstanding, we need to clear the problem right now. We don't withhold things. Every time we withhold something, something happens, there's an infraction, there's a problem, and we withhold it. And we know love keeps no record of wrongs. Okay? And so part of us is, well, I won't keep a record of wrong, and I won't bring it up. Yeah. Why does that not work? Because we're not 100% spirit beings. We're flesh beings, too. And because of that, those things will become an issue. It builds up. One little thing. Oh, yeah, you know, Doak lent me his pen, his favorite pen, and I didn't return to him. And then, yeah, I did get a ding on his car when he let me use his nice new car. Love him, keep no record of wrongs. Live no record of wrongs. He's not going to say anything about it. Not going to bring it up. Okay? Not going to deal with it. But all those things pile up. And the natural inclinations to say, hey, and I'm especially if I'm using the pen in front of me, his pen, that, you know, because I forgot. It's just a pen. To me, it's just a pen. To him, it's something else. It was, you know, the pen that his daughter gave him for his birthday. It could mean much more to him than it can be. We need to clear things up. So if there's a problem that we have, it may seem insignificant, better to bring it out to the open. My problem is, I'm going around thinking, I didn't even know I dented this car, and I didn't know that pen was something special. So, because of that, I'm not likely to go to Doak, even though I'm the one who committed the infraction. He'd have to come to me. I don't want to make a big deal. But I really like that pen, and this is why it's meaning to me. And it may seem petty to you. It's okay to be honest about it. I really like that. Hey, by the way, I lent you the vehicle and there's a ding in it. There it is. I didn't know that. I'll take care of it. I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. Must have been in the shopping mall and somebody opened the door and dinged it or something. I don't know. Well, I'm going to park, you know, way, like, away from everybody else. Or I'm just not going to borrow it. Or I'm just going to fix it. Whatever way that you need to resolve it. The principle being is not that. The principle is... There's a problem, we need to bring it out in the open. 
need to address it with the Spirit, with the intention of reconciliation. Not to make somebody feel bad, not to beat them up, not to accuse them, but to reconcile. And the more we're honest and transparent, even little things, not to make every little thing, by the way, I've got a hundred things I want to talk to you about. Yeah, that's not what I want you to do. In 2013, you know, you did this. Okay, that's not the intent. The idea is to do it as you go. Okay, so things that are recent, that are recent, things like that. You know, if it's something that happened more than two years ago, I mean, you kind of have to really take that to the Lord. Unless it's a huge deal that we don't know. You have to ask for wisdom. God will give you that. He'll help you. Okay, sometimes you have to. Sometimes, especially if there's things from your childhood, you may not come to mind until later. You may have to confront things with an abuser or something that happened. You'll have to deal with that. And you may not know because you've repressed it, because of the pain. I get that. That doesn't mean it still doesn't have to be dealt with. As soon as the Spirit leads it, lays it on your heart, you will have to address it. To clear out misunderstanding. And maybe you didn't know, maybe you didn't have the right picture. You think in your memory this is what happened, and it didn't even happen that way. And they go, oh, no, that didn't happen that way. It happened this way. Oh, yeah. You thought it was that, but it wasn't that. And it may not be. Your memory may be faulty. It is, can be easily faulty. Our memories are imperfect. That's why they have that little tape measured there to tell, because we can't even tell the height of the person that comes in. We need to measure it against the gauge. He was five foot six. No, he was six three. We get it wrong. So, talking and communicating, resolving it with the intent of reconciling is the only way to really get it right through the power of God. So we talked about that in Matthew chapter 5, 23-24, just to give you the verse basis for that. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then and come and offer your gift. That's what Jesus said. First, be reconciled before you can go to God. I mean, his priority is we have to go to our brother and reconcile those things before you can get to go to God. That's how important Jesus said it was. That you and me, we can't be simpatico, we can't be in sync until you deal with your brother. Why wouldn't that change, church? How many people bear resentments that go back here? I've been in those churches, and they can't worship God. They can't connect with God because there's all this tension, this ill will, this discord, this resentment, this bitterness that's taken root. Paul is trying to clear that up. He doesn't want the Corinthians to be bitter. He's saying, let's deal with it. Okay, let's move on to verse... Um, 15 to 22. And in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by the way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I planned, do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no, but as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me, 
Silvanus and Timothy was not yes to no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So, there's a lot here. Let me let you know. So, Paul had a plan. Let's call it Plan A. Okay, his first plan was, hey, I'm going to leave Ephesus, where I was at, I'm going to cross the Aegean Sea, go right to Corinth, and visit you there. Deal with the problems there, and then I'm going to make my way up to Macedonia, all the way up to the land, to the cities of Thessalonica and Philippi, where there's other churches, and then on my way down, I'm going to visit you again to fellowship and connect, and, uh, and, and then take whatever offerings you have, because I'm going to head it on a ship, and we're going to go to Jerusalem. That was his initial plan. Okay? So it says that in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 5 to 9, Now I'll come to you when, I'm, when I pass through Macedonia, for I'm passing through Macedonia, and it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you. And you may send me on my journey wherever I go, for I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you, if the Lord permits. But I will carry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So as I mentioned earlier, first they said he was unclear, now they're saying he's unreliable that he wasn't telling the truth of his plans. He said, if the Lord permits. But also the other part you get to see is he had written some communication and there was difficulty and strife. And he's going to talk about how he did not want to give them sorrow. Sometimes plans change. I may make a plan to go to Eric's house for dinner and really intend to plan but then sometimes plans change, and I can't make it. That's why we're to say, don't make plans unless you say, if the Lord permits. Right? At one time, Paul wanted to go to Asia, but it didn't happen because that door was closed. There are things that happen, circumstances that happen. That doesn't mean that person is out of integrity. Now we have the ability to communicate virtually instantaneously, and I can let you know. They didn't have that back then, so it was hard to let people know hey, I just didn't show up. But he's letting you know that sometimes circumstances change and you get to know Paul's intent, his heart. And so we have a tendency to judge ourselves by our intent and judge others by their actions. That's what's called attribution error. I've shared that before. We have to realize that that his intent was to be a blessing but he also realized he didn't want to cause pain. Because if you look at... Uh, well, well, we'll get to that in when we start the next chapter, and I'll explain that there. So one of the things is, they wanted to spend time with Paul. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay for Eric to be disappointed when I don't show up for dinner. I hope he'd be disappointed, but maybe not. Maybe happy. But it's okay to be disappointed. Okay? It's okay to be disappointed, but it's not a good idea 
to blame. It's not like you can't have feelings. I wish you came. I'm sorry you can't come. I can be disappointed. That's okay. But not to bear grudge. Not to say, hey, what's wrong? To find out. Did something happen? Was the last time the food too spicy? You know, that could be her accusation against me. Okay? But the Corinthians were being immature. Saying, you were inconsistent. You weren't faithful. You weren't a man of your word. He's going, if the Lord permits. You know how people look, selectively read or selectively hear things? Because of what they want. We have to be very careful about that. What I say and what you hear may be two different things. That's the challenge of how to communicate in a way that people understand. Misunderstandings occur often in communication. So one of the things I really love about what Paul says, and he talks about God. He brings God in this thing. And because he's saying, first, I didn't make the plan to come to you according to just my own thinking, in the flesh. I did because I'm trying to follow God. Honestly, sincerely, I'm going to go where God tells me. My plan is to come to you, but if God directs me somewhere else, I'm going to go there. I have to. Okay? And then he goes, which is what I love, he says, about God. He said, God is faithful. Counting on the God is faithful, and I'm going to abide by it. And then he said, but in him, that's in God, was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. Why did he say that? For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen. That's a very powerful statement. That's a very powerful statement. I want you to get that. Because that talks about that his actions are based on the promises of God. That when God gives a promise of doing something, God is faithful in that. And that we can count on that. And that his idea is our confidence with our brothers and sisters in Christ needs to be based on our confidence in God. Do we believe and trust God in his work? I'm an imperfect human being. I promise you, I will fail you. Because I'm an imperfect human being. And much as I want to be doing the right thing, and much as I want to be like Christ, I've got a long way to go. But God will not fail you. God cannot fail you. It is not His nature. He is perfect. Perfect. Perfect in all His ways. If we can take a hold of that, if we can apprehend that and get it to our core, then what you and I do to each other, we're not going to be worried about. Because we're going to trust in His sufficiency. That He's going to do the work. And this is the part that we have to get. Even my work, even when I'm grieved with my brother, this is the hard part for me. Sometimes I see somebody and you want to go, you want to shake them. Particularly your kids, if you ever have kids sometimes. You know, when you get older, teenagers, like, you really want to shake them. Okay? That's just human nature because you have wisdom, you've learned your mistakes, and you hope they won't make the same mistakes you did. Or worse. Okay? And sometimes they do, and it just, it's tough. And what he's saying is, I want you to trust God's work. I've got to see that personally with my son coming 
in the last four years. You got to walk a lot with me. Because something happened where things are. It's a tough road. I wouldn't wish his road on anybody. I am grateful that now that he's in a place where he's growing with the Lord. I've had a relationship to build with my daughter. She's not following the Lord. We're still not seeing things eye to eye. But I spent time with this and spent time with this. And all the promises of him are yes and amen. And we just said, we just sang. What did we sing? That God's climbing every mountain for them. There's no lie he won't tear down for them. And immediately it just really registered me for my daughter. That he loves her more than I do. That he knows his promises. He's faithful to complete his good work. And he's, he loves her far more than I do. So those of us who have that challenge, you have to trust in the promises of God that he's sufficient. And what does it mean to walk in the confidence in being able to communicate that? I'm going to believe God's going to do it because that's what he's going to do. And you can look back and we can reason, well, they have free will, they have choice. There's no question they have choice. But there's a perfect God who knows that within the choices. He's going to make it very clear to them where things are. Particularly if a lot of them have left because of the hurt or harm. Not an active focus. I mean, we're all rebellious by nature. It's only for the God. But I'm saying there's certain things you have to realize. God's intent is to present himself in the best possible way to everybody so that all may be safe. That's his heart. That's his desire. He's going to make a way. He is that way maker. So, one of the challenges for us, and I'm going to say this, an invitation. I've had people go through their Bibles, and they write down, every time they read a promise of God, writing a P beside it, or a particular highlighter, or something to communicate that. I invite you to do that. I invite you to know because when he gives a promise, he stands by his word to trust in his provision. We doubt all the time. We have an enemy telling us to doubt, just like Eve did. Okay? We doubt. We don't believe. Partially, but not wholly. If we want to see God move here, we need to be all in. We need to be fully, wholly, completely, unashamedly, unreservedly, recklessly, relentlessly, passionately. That's what the Lord wants of us. And when we know that His promises are always yes, and God are always yes and amen, always yes and amen, we can count on Him. Even when we don't understand, especially when we don't see it. Because we don't see it. How is this going to work out? I don't understand. We don't need to. We don't need to understand. It's nice to understand. I'm not saying don't try to understand, but don't get caught up in it. Don't get wrapped on it. Don't let it dissuade from what his promises are because your understanding is not contingent. His, he's the God of the universe. What he says goes. His will will be done. Do you go willingly or do you beat against the goats? That's the choice we have. Now, you also have to appreciate what did Paul say? Paul said, we have this 
Now he who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, as a guarantee. He's anointed us. Everyone who has the Spirit of God in him is anointed. Let's say that again. Everyone who has the Spirit of God in him is anointed. That's what they talk about in the Old Testament. The Spirit came upon him, and then they had the anointing. But we've got that. Every one of us, through the anointing. Now, there's more. There's deeper wells of that. We can talk a little bit more about what that means in terms of surrender of that anointing. But it talks, what I'm here to focus on is what God has done. He has sealed us. Not to say that we don't have some choice or free will about that. Not to say that we can't act in rebellion, because most certainly we can. But I'm letting you know that God's seal on us, God's imprimatur, God's imprint, God's stamp, means that He has a calling on your life. He has intention and purpose on your life. For the kingdom, in the spiritual realm, not to build your empire here on earth. Not so you can get all the things you want. Not for the comforts of this world, but to build the kingdom. And you know that when you're sharing something and the Spirit, especially with others, usually it's through others, that calling, that anointing is for the blessing of others, for the kingdom. The opportunity is to walk in that anointing. To passionately discover, to trust in His provision, to count on it and act on that anointing as God has done that. And so what Paul is communicating to Corinthians, he wanted them to know that he has anointing and that they have an anointing. And that anointing, how you know it's of the Spirit, because it has a kingdom impact. It encourages others. Everything that he's talking about, the whole principle is to realize, I love you. Because Christ loved me and put his seal upon me, I love you. Not just in my flesh, but in my spirit, because God loves you, and he loves you through me. And he loves me through you. That's what the reciprocal mutual relationship is. Okay? So look at 1 John 2.20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. And then 1 John 2.27. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you and you did not need that anyone teach you but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and it's true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. So this anointing keeps us with Jesus. It's the Spirit who draws us. It's the Spirit who encourages us. It's the Spirit who gives us the breath. It's His very breath, we sang, that gives us. It's His breath in us. His Spirit in us that gives us an opportunity to praise Him. We couldn't praise Him apart from His Spirit. It would be meaningless. And He's keeping us, and He speaks to us. That Spirit, that anointing, is that Spirit in us that conforms us to the image of Christ. That's when you read the Word and you go, oh, I read that before, it didn't make sense. Now it kind of suddenly opens up. That's when I'm saying all these things, you're like, I'm not sure I understand. It's the Spirit who unlocks that, who makes that clear. <laughs> okay? So, part of this challenge for us is a lot of this stuff he's talking about anointing is conditional. The condition is in our obedience. 
It's in our trust in God, in acting out what the Spirit has. Okay? vast majority of His promises, not all, but a lot of them are conditional. Okay? Because God's desire for that condition is these promises are available in Him. As we abide in Him, the number one condition for the promise is abiding in Him. If we don't abide in Him, we don't have the promise. The promise is in Him. He's the vehicle for us to get it through the Spirit. And we want to get that part. So, this is the challenge for us. Sometimes, we feel the Spirit calling us to do something. We're like, ah, I'm not sure. Okay? We're not sure we want to do that. Okay? So, remember, the Spirit's talking to us. We're abiding. How do we know the Spirit's talking to us? One, we have to be cleansed, pure. We have to confess. We have to abide in Him. It has to be a righteous man. So we know the Spirit's going to talk. If we're in abiding sin... The Spirit's not likely to talk to us. Those who have been biting sins, oh, God spoke to me. Yeah, no, no, it doesn't happen. He says it won't. If you're an unconfessed sin, He's not going to speak to you. Except to tell you, hey, confess your sins, come right with me. He's going to do that. He wants to do that to reconcile. But He's going to speak when we confess our sins. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. And as He purifies righteousness, then we can hear what His command is on our life. He's going to ask us to do it. Now, we still have a choice. Sometimes we don't do it. We don't follow through with what He wants. I've shared with you, I made a choice on the crossroads, leaving my job that I'm going to be leaving, you know, at the end of July. I have to get three months notice. So, not full-time, not director, not doing any of those things. Trusting that God's got a provision for me. Not sure exactly what it is. Was up and visiting family, and they're all looking at me like, hey, so you're retiring? What are you doing? I said, ah. I'm going where I feel led to. I'm not going to... They ask me, they say, my faith directs me to trust in God. But I really don't try to shove it down their throats. But if they ask me, I'll definitely give them a truthful answer. They're not very comfortable about that. All of them see things in terms of what they want for themselves. And it doesn't make sense to them to do this. But God's saying, I need to step out. I asked counsel. This has been percolating for some time. I thought it in the Word. I've discussed this with others. Many of you I've shared with. There's a part of me goes, is this really God or not God? I'm going, okay, make it clear. So close the doors. Open the doors that you need to open, and things are opening. You still have some more steps to take in that. Trusting His provision. Okay? But as we do that, God will obey. We have to be obedient to Him, even though it's scary at times, in the sense that we don't have our confidence in ourselves. It doesn't have the security in ourselves. When we step out on faith, out of our comfort zone, trusting in God, He will provide for us. Everything that Paul did, everything that you see throughout, throughout history, it's always believers who did not trust in their own understanding, but who relied on the power of God and walked in faith. That doesn't mean they were foolhardy. They just sought counsel. They tried to be reasonable, but they stepped out in faith. That God is going to direct their paths. Because He promises to make all their paths straight. So when you choose to obey, the power to do so is always given by the Spirit of God. You can do what God 
wants. God's always going to equip you to do what He wants. God's always going to equip you to do what He wants. Never leave you hanging there. May not give you what all you, what you want. Maybe He'll give you the power to do what you want, but He will always equip you to do what He wants. You can count on it. So let's move to verse 23 and 24. Moreover, moreover, I call God as a witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. So remember I mentioned at the beginning, you know, they talked about that Paul was basically saying he's this boss going to tell him what to do. And Paul's saying, look, I'm not your Lord. There's one Lord, and that's God. I'm your fellow worker. Enjoy. I'm here to work with you alongside you. Okay? And I'm not your boss. I'm not here to tell you what to do. Let's look at Romans chapter 14, verse 4. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. So Paul wrote this. And Paul's basically saying the same thing. Ultimately, each one of us is accountable to God. There's no question as teachers, we're responsible, those who give, to give an account to God for what we communicate. But ultimately, each one stands before God and you're accountable. I don't have to make you follow Christ. I don't. I don't have to make you abide by the words of God. That's up to you and the Lord. Whether you're willing to trust or not, it's up to you. I can encourage you, I can admonish you, I can support you. And we do all those things. And it needs to be done in gentleness. That's what it talks about. With the right spirit of love. Not in condemnation. For there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, so we don't be condemning. We're to spur others to good deeds. So all those things we're to do. But the idea is, ultimately, each of us is going to be held to count. We each have that priesthood. We're each going to give an account. And so that's what Paul is basically saying. I'm not here to lord it over you. So moving on to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But I determined within this within myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I made you sorrowful, then he, who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? I'm going to go right to the next. And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you should might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. So I alluded to this a little bit earlier. Okay, so this is where they thought, hey, was there another letter between First and Second Corinthians? Because he talks about the anguish he had and the sorrow he had. And you're wondering, he didn't seem to say that as much in First Corinthians. So that's why there's some understanding. But we don't know in terms of how it was communicated. What we do know is Paul is basically saying, okay, that, that everything that he's done, he didn't come by that visit we talked about, was because he didn't want to make trouble, make things worse. And the discernment is sometimes... You know, when I communicate with you, I don't have to keep harping on things or checking where things are with you. Sometimes I just have to let the Lord do His work. 
And that's what Paul said. I'm going to let God do his work within you. This is on you. We just said, I don't have dominion. God can do it. God does not need me to do what he wants to get done. I can be taken out tomorrow. The lighthouse on the rock will be fine. Okay? Every other place will be fine. There's no one person that God can, he can't make, he can make things work with each, any one of us, God. So Paul is basically saying, I don't want to cause more problems. And that's where discernment comes in. I don't want to cause grief. I don't want to cause suffering. So the invitation is, just be sensitive to the Spirit, and you'll know what you need to do. But I want you to get the part here that he talked about at the beginning of this chapter. He talks about the anguish he had. The challenge for us is Paul still bore the pain, the suffering. And the invitation is for us to bear that. When we're to bear our brother, is do we anguish or do we just dismiss it? Well, it's not my responsibility. It's between you and God. So, okay, I don't have to worry about it. That is not the attitude that Paul took. Paul said, I anguished. He prayed. He sought. He used discernment. He didn't want to trust in his own understanding. I grieve for you. I, I, I'm not going to do that because it would cause more problems. And so, bearing, praying for your brother and sister in Christ, but praying fervently, travailing prayer, if you call it, where you're seeking, that's what Paul did. And that's what the invitation is. So when we're grieved by things, when it's a struggle, he's asking us to press in, to seek him more, to rely upon him more. So Paul did not take this lightly. Do not be flippant or dismissive. So that's the opportunity invitation. So I don't have much time. Are there any questions? I saw a bit of information out of you. I didn't think I'd have to go through it that long, but it did. Anyone? Okay, let's uh, close in prayer. God, we're, you know, we thank you that, you know, everything that we read in Scripture, even though it was 2,000 years ago, is still relevant to us today. How you orchestrated to make things work, why you decide, like even just if there was another letter that we're not to get that, but the letters that we got were exactly what you prescribed for our need. You knew what we needed, and you know what we need. We need more of you. We need your wisdom. We need your spirit to guide all our steps. We need to be sensitive to you. And Father, I pray for each man here that he is more surrendered to you, trusting you, knowing that you're a faithful God who will accomplish his will. You deserve the glory. We trust you and pray your blessing upon each man. In Jesus' name, amen.